It's a great thing. Take your Bibles and let's turn to John chapter 4. We're going to look at, have another look at this lady, this woman at the well. She probably wasn't a lady when she first met Jesus, okay? Uh, with her given her background, she, she's got a little bit of history. She's been married five times, and the woman she's with, I mean, the man she's with right now is not her husband. And uh, so she's either got somebody else's husband, or she's messing around in, with fornication today. So we're going to look, I'm going to show you 14 things in this scripture. We're just going to go down and hit the bullets today. Because if you are here last week, you got some of the, the first, if you would, the baptism uh, of, the, of the whole story. We, we jumped right into it, both feet. And we saw a picture that, that where John wrote this and where God inspired him to write it was captured just between Nicodemus, the most elite religious ruler of his time, right? He was the top man, if you will. He was the, probably the wealthiest. He had the most power and he had the most governance when it comes to religion. And sandwiched between that is you must be born again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have what? Everlasting or eternal life. God was... Through Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ himself was speaking of eternal life. He sandwiched that between this woman at the well, probably the lowest outcast. She was considered a woman in that day. Women were not to be spoken to in public by any man whatsoever. You didn't speak to your mama, your sister, or your wife. You didn't speak to another woman in that Middle Eastern culture. She was basically to do women's work, chores that the women were responsible for doing in their culture, and men did their thing. But there was never an opportunity to speak in public to a woman. If you do, you see in the scriptures when a woman is mentioned in the Bible during the time, and some of you are getting upset about today, you're trying to bring it to the 21st century. Uh, what about today? Well, let's continue on what we got, because there, there's some principles for today that we have in the husband and wife marriage. The Bible says we're one when we're under the banner of Christ. There is no male nor female according to what scripture says, even though God knows he made us male and female. I'm talking about the cultural time of the story. So this woman been married five times, living with someone, or, and she wasn't just living with them. They weren't just sharing an apartment, I don't believe. She knew what it was like to, to live together with a man in an intimate way. And she sandwiched between the lowest category of person on the planet. She was a woman who'd been married multiple times, and she was an outcast. Because that's the only way you can actually see that she actually, he, Jesus compares Nicodemus' sin, no matter how much money you have, how religious you think you are, how much status you have in life, or how low your status might be, how outcast you might be, the love of Christ reaches down into the guttermost, right? To the uttermost. He reaches you wherever you are. So in your circumstances today, when you see this woman at the well, why don't you just say, thank you, Lord, that you put that story in the Bible that actually, thanks for having that encounter that I can actually identify. You say, well, that's not me. Then you, Are you Nicodemus? Are you the woman at the well? You're somewhere in between. The Lord loves you enough to actually tell you the truth that he wants you to be born again, that he wants you to have eternal life. And he's trying to give us word pictures. And this woman, as we see her, this, this message is almost 2,000 years old, and yet it is applicable today as any other time. There's people living in these same identical sins that Nicodemus and this woman at the well was living in. And I want you to see that and see if you see yourself in here because it's easy to look down your nose and say, yeah, she was terrible. Or Nicodemus was so arrogant. You ever been there? Anybody ever said an unkind word about our president of the United States currently? Anybody ever said a kind word about him? That's what I probably should say. I still pray for him, but I don't like one thing he does. I don't like any of our leadership whatsoever right now. But do I pray for him? The answer is yes, because I'm commanded by the scripture to pray for those in authority. Watch what this lady does. And this is something that was heartbreaking, but also a revelation that came to me when I was studying this. I think the Lord showed this to me. 
Today's sermon is this, only Jesus satisfies. We're going to pick up in verse 5, John 4, verse 5. And if you missed any of this, please go back and you can listen to it online. And uh, Jeremiah so graciously puts that online for us. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. You say, where is that in the Bible? Go back and you can actually look in the Old Testament. You can go uh, scroll through Genesis and you'll find out all these landmarks that, that's been referred to in the Bible. So Jacob's well, obviously, uh, Jacob, there was many wells that were dug, filled in, dug, filled in. But what were, they, what were they digging for? Has anybody ever dug a well? Anybody had a well dug? We have a well out there by the pump house that's 368 feet deep. That's a whole lot of digging, right? I mean, they bore them today. There's vehicles that do that for us today. But could you imagine with shovels getting down? What are you getting down to? Why do people dig wells? Not just water. What are they getting to? They want to get down to the water table where there's actually sustainable water, right? So if you drop a pump in there, you want it to pump water every single time. You can get water on the surface. You dig down after a rain, you'll find water just under the surface. But you have to dig deep. And usually you dig it narrow and deep. And so they had to dig down to there's actually a water table where there's water moving at the bottom, bottom of a well. This one would have understood that as living water, the water that's actually moving. Jesus is going to give her the good stuff. And she's going to say, well, you don't even have anything to actually lower down into the well. How can you get the good stuff? And you're going to see he offers her the good stuff, and he wasn't talking about physical water. So he came to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, Jesus therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour, or our time is 12 o'clock, it's lunchtime. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink, or hey, would you give me a drink of water? For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, asked a drink of me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? See, she was talking about the good stuff on the bottom. And she was, she was a very smart lady. She wasn't, this was not a dumb person Jesus is speaking with. She knew, hey, if you don't have anything to get down this narrow well, down the, the, down, the, down the tube and to the good water at the bottom, how can you get a hold of it? Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, hmm, sounds good, right? That's not what she said. She said, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, she wanted to quench her thirst because she was thirsty, her physical thirst, nor come here to draw. She didn't want to work anymore. She, that was a duty of a woman that was to come there to draw water. And if she was an outcast, whatever her status, she's coming at noon today to get water when every, all the other ladies would come in the morning or in the late evening when it was cool. She'd come at a different time. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, go. And you call your husband and you come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. This is the dumb moment for her. 
The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. <laughs> really? And prophets, the, 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 the Samaritans would believe, like the Jews would, that where do prophets come from? Prophets only come from God. So she was saying, I understand that you're from God. Our fathers worship on what's your transition? I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worship on this mountain, and you Jews say that Jerusalem is the place where you ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Let's pray together. Father God, as we read these words, will you penetrate our hearts that we might be more and more like Jesus. Let us to open our hearts to the Holy Spirit and hear what it is you have to say to us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We'll continue with some of the scripture in just a moment, but today's sermon is only Jesus satisfies. We're going to look and see each of those verses. There's so much power packed in there because all of us are crammed in those short amount of verses. I want you to see in your notes, if you're taking notes, number one, Jesus keeps every single divine appointment the Father schedules. In verse 7, I have not called back hardly. If, if I owe you a phone call back, an email back this week, I am so far behind, it's not even funny. We've had field trips and sports um, trips. We've had to come from Edgefield and go back to Greenwood and come back from, we did that twice this week. Just a long, long week. So some of you owe phone calls and returns. I wish I was like Jesus where I could keep every appointment. And, um, but I'm weak. I'm a man. But Jesus did, even though he was a man. He was 100% God. He had 100% man, but he kept every divine appointment that the Father had sent him. So I want you to see that in verse 7. He, he had an appointment. He said, I must go through Samaria. There was an appointment there, and there was a woman there. And I told you last week, we talked about, well, this was a great experience for this woman. She received Jesus. She believed on Jesus. But who was this story really about? If you look deep enough, if you study enough, you'll see that this story is really about you and me. Although she was saved and some of the people from the town were saved, there's been many people in life that's been saved through the years because of this woman's story. Not her story, the story of her accepting Jesus Christ. The story of Christ, this woman became a Christian, and her story has been uh, read, I don't know how many times throughout history. As a matter of fact, I was looking her up to see, she's honored in the U.S. Did y'all know this? Have y'all ever heard the story of the woman at the well being honored in America? If you're in the Episcopal Church, the Episcopal Church honors her on February 26th this year. Her, her name is, um, the Eastern Orthodox Church started honoring her first. They still do. Uh, Fotini is what they actually say. That's her name. If you look her up on, uh, just do a Google search and look up uh, Wikipedia and do a little bit of research. The, in Mexico, in Oaxaca, Mexico, I guess that's how you pronounce it, she uh, will be celebrated on March 26th on the fourth Friday of Lent for the Catholic Church. They give away sweet drinks and candies in, the, in her name. Have you ever heard that before? She's considered now a saint, the woman at the well. Anybody ever heard that story of her? I never have. I, all the times I've ever read it, and when, except when you take time to slow down and read, you see that, that people recognize something about her that she was changed. And we'll see what she did, what changed her, and how she was changed. Look at number two. Jesus broke man-made social norms to reach a woman described at her lowest point of sin. Jesus broke the man-made norms. What are the norms for us today? We have them. I hit on a couple of them last week. Oh, this is the blacks, this is the whites, this is the Hispanics, this is the Asians. We all break out in these tribal groups still today, and we keep going back to the truth, right? Who's your grandpa? 
Adam, who's your grandma? So that's mine as well. We're of one race, the human race. We have different cultures. Sure, we break out in ethnic groups, but that's the good thing about, have you ever switched over and gone, have you traveled and ate, have eaten other foods, other cultures? Have you ever eaten at an international day where they actually know what they're doing and actually cooking the food? How much do we love just saying, wow, that's a great experience? Some people say, I don't want to eat nothing outside my, outside my group. Well, I would tell you to expand your horizons a little bit and find out how God made people as many colors of people there are. Everybody look at your skin. Everybody look at it real quick. Just look, just look at your skin. And you say, why does the church have to deal with this? Somebody says, I ain't looking at my skin. I know what color I am. Okay, y'all, you're part of the problem probably. Look at your skin. Let me ask you a question. Am I white? This is white. Am I white? So when we... It's easy for us in a culture, just like this culture, when we look at somebody and say, well, you're, and we fill in the blank what you are, right? And she's not saved, so we can't hold her to another standard. But I want you to look at your skin. If you consider, you got to check a box every time you fill something out for the government, right? If you go to college, if you go do anything for the government, you're going to check a box. And if you check other, you got to explain what other is. You're going to check off white, black, Hispanic, Asian, and other, right? And that's okay. But what I want us to see in the story is this woman was lost, and she said, how come you as a Jew are asking me a Samaritan, one you should never talk to me? Number two, how have you a man talking to me and a woman in public? That's number two. That's what's wrong, right? And three, what's going to happen whenever people find out who, that you talk to me, right? There's consequences to it. Is he man number seven? Is some, some people think. If Jesus is sitting out by the well just resting, and a woman comes up and somebody happens to see it, and the disciples might have said they didn't know her history, but Jesus did. But people, if you came by from town and saw it, you'd say, wait a minute, is this, man, is this husband number seven or man number seven in her life? I want you to see Jesus, he just snapped, if you would, the man-made social norms. I can't do that because. Lord, I can't share the gospel there because. I was struggling with becoming a Christian when I really knew that God was working in my heart. And I said, Lord, I'm not going to become a Christian. Do you all know what the number one hang-up I had was that why well, I didn't want to become a Christian? Besides the church, I didn't like church people. I like Jesus. He was kind of cool. The word was cool. The word of God was, I really enjoyed it. I didn't want to go to Africa because I knew God was going to call me to be a missionary to go to Africa because we had some of those crazy, uh, the crazy African missionaries come when I was a kid that showed us shrunk heads and you know, all kind of crazy things. were like, they tried to gross us out, but it scared a lot of kids from, I don't want to do that ever. And guess where my first mission trip was shortly after going into the ministry? Kenya, Africa, and then Zimbabwe, and in the Tanzania. So God bless, and it was probably, the, my, I bet my best friend in the world, Stakewell, he's listening uh, probably by today, listening from Africa. But my best friend in the world is there now today. It's amazing how God does that when we, what we tell God we're not going to do. This woman came to the well to get water. But look at number three. Jesus offered the sinful woman a gift from God. He offered her living water. I want you to see this today. God is always trying to give us gifts. What does the Romans 6.23 say? For the wages of your sin, your sin, and my sin, what is the wages? What do you get paid for your sin? Death. But the gift of God is eternal life in and through Christ Jesus our Lord. There's only one way to get the gift of God of eternal life is through Jesus Christ. We must receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and as our Savior. And Jesus is trying to give this woman the same gift. I have a gift to give you. I want to give you a God gift. And what did she do? She changes the subject on him. Jesus instructed the woman he offered internal and external change, eternal change. Internal, what's going to happen to her? 
If you receive Christ, you know this is going to happen. I've heard some people say, if you come to Christ today, all your problems will be washed away. Is that true or not? It's not true. All your sins will be covered. Amen? But you won't, listen, your problems are probably going to double because Satan hates you now because you're on the enemy team. If you're not a Christian, you're on his team. He's not worried about you. But when you become a Christian, then he wants to double down on you, not to Satan himself, because all of us are really small fries in the happy meal of eternity, right? Satan's not worried about you because you're not a strong prayer warrior. You give in to temptation. You read your Bible when it's convenient, right? Right? You say, well, don't be judging me. I'm not judging. I'm just telling you, listen, it's truth. In America, we are lazy Christians. We're the worst. It, would you hire you as a Christian if you were God? Based on what he says, you keep my commandments, meditate on my word, read my word, pray daily, pray without ceasing. If you were God, would you want you as a follower? Most people say, you heard there was nothing. It was, should have been a big amen, God would want me, right? We fail him and we know that. But you know what? That's the God that we serve. He loves us so much. He says, listen, I know you failed me today. I forgive you and I love you. I know you failed me yesterday. I forgive you and I love you. There is no perfection. We can't live this Christian life unless the Holy Spirit walks it in and through us. We give concession. Yes, I will give my life to Christ, but it's a daily dying. Paul says, listen, I, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I live, but who? Christ who lives in me or through me. It's the Lord Jesus Christ that carries us forward. Turn up, if you would, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I want you to see this. 2 Corinthians 5. Some people say, well, Go ahead and turn the page. It's not on the screen. I didn't give Melissa the notes, so she wouldn't put it up there. Don't put it up, Melissa. I want to use your Bible, your B-I-B-L-E, your Bible. I'm going to quit giving you the extra Bible verses so you have to look them up. You need to underline them because this is applicable to your life and to mine. 2 Corinthians 5, when you're there, say amen. Verse 12, let's start there. Paul writing to the church at Corinth. For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf, that you may have an answer from those who boast in appearance and not in heart. Let's keep going. Stay with me. For if, we, if, for if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us, compels us, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet we know him thus no longer. Look at verse 17. This is so key for you. If you circle, I've got it circled in my Bible. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Amen? Old things have passed away. If you were a drinker, all the drugs, alcohol, listen, all things are behind you now. Put them behind you. You say, well, I'm still struggling with them. You need to get counseling. You need to get godly counsel to deal with those because God will take those away from you. You say, well, I'm still struggling. You will never stop struggling, especially if you've been in sin for a long time. This woman faced temptations after her salvation. You'll see. You'll always have that temptation, but the Lord says if you, if you truly have been born again, old things have become what? Old, they've gone. Old things are old. They've passed away. They're dead. We had a funeral for those things. Behold, all things have become new. Now, all things are of God. 
who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Your job, you've been reconciled to Christ. Now God wants you to turn back around and reconcile your relationships. He wants you to reconcile your relationships with your family, with your business partners, whomever it might be. He wants you to reconcile all things. You're constantly reconciling, redeeming the time. Lord, I'm sorry, I messed this up. I really hosed this one up, Lord. I said this, I did this, I shouldn't have done that, I shouldn't have said that. And the Lord says, listen, okay, offer forgiveness. Go ask for forgiveness and then offer forgiveness if it need be. Reconcile, bring back the ministry of reconciliation. This is our job to be preachers of the gospel, if you will. Verse 19, that is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Where do you find the strength in the word to reconcile your relationships? Where do you find the strength to reconcile what needs to be reconciled? If you took something that wasn't yours, you have stolen something from someone, how do you reconcile that? You have neighbors? You ever borrow something from your neighbors and it's still sitting in your garage? How do you reconcile that? You take it back in proper working order, and if it's broken, you take back one new or the cash for it, right? That's how you reconcile. You don't just take them their old junk back and say it's not working anymore. You fix it or you make it right. But watch this. We have the word of God that is our, we're stewards of God's word. Not only are we stewards, look at verse 20. Now that we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Say it with me, church. Be reconciled to God. Let's do it better than that. Let's do it again. Say it again. Be reconciled to God. That's our message, what we preach. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Isn't that a beautiful picture? The Lord Jesus Christ took on every sin of yours and mine, past, present, and even in the future that you're going to do. The Lord Jesus Christ took those sins, and God says, I'm reconciling you to myself through my son, Jesus Christ. That's a, that's a praise the Lord, hallelujah, right there, because he did it for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, Paul wrote, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Well, look. Jesus offered, number four, instructed the woman. He offered internal change and eternal change. Internal because he makes you new. Eternal because he gives you forever life. That's the gift that God gives. Number five, look, Jesus confronted the Samaritan woman's core sin problem. He placed his finger on her sinful past. He said, you're right that you say you have no husband, but you've had five husbands, and the one that you're living with right now is not your husband. She had an issue, whether her husband's died, whether her husband's divorced her, she's had a repeat and repeat situation in her life where she has repeated sin. You say, well, well, just forgive her for all those poor marriages. Maybe every husband died. Let's give that to her, okay? Every single husband died, poor her, right? But what about this last guy she's hanging out with? She's sleeping with him. Do we give her a pass on that? Well, she just, she's just lonely, Pastor. She has no way to make food. Wouldn't it be better to be a thief than to be adulterous? The Lord said the thief has to pay back. Some of you are looking with your arms crossed mad at me, right? Don't be mad. I'm trying to tell you she's living in sin. She's in the same situation that you and I are in on a daily basis, living in sin. We make choices that sin against God. We sin against our own bodies. We sin against our own families, but ultimately we sin against God. But here's the good news. God forgives us. 
like he tells many, go and sin no more. Remember the woman who was going to be stoned to death? Her sins, she was called in the very act of adultery. When Jesus says, who, there's no one here to condemn you, he's, neither do I condemn you. Is that a regular thing that Jesus says? If you go back and look at John 3, look back, if you would, go back to John 3. Look at verse, we know verse 16, we memorize that as children, hopefully. Verse 17 says this, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The Lord's trying to save our sorry souls. <laughs> and we resist him, and we resist him. And I remember as a young man saying, Listen, I don't like all those rules in the church. What are we saying when we don't want the rules of the church? I don't want the rules of the church either. I want the rules of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're called precepts, his commands. Those are the things that David, the psalmist, said, I love God's rules. Why? Why should we fall in love with God's rules? Why should we not, as the young man told us, not have a spirit of fear, but one of power and of might? Why? Because we, have the, we know we have an enemy, the devil, and his, all of his demons fighting against us on a daily basis. We know we have a flesh that wars against the Spirit of God. Yes, we've been made new, but we want to fight the Holy Spirit every time a situation comes up to do something we want to do. Do I do this or do I this? If this is godly, this is not godly. Yeah, but this is fun. I'm going to go do this and then ask for forgiveness. If you try to live that life, if you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, he will discipline you and it will be evident publicly that you're being dis disciplined because you belong to him. He says, you earthly fathers, you discipline your children. How much greater your heavenly father who loves you disciplines those who belong to him. If you're living in sin, you say, well, nothing's happening to me. I'm going to church every Sunday, and I'm living like I want to live. I want to tell you, you don't belong to him. The Father in heaven does not know you. Your father is the devil. Does that offend you? Jesus said that. You of the Pharisees, you are of your father, the devil. They were very religious men. You probably, they knew more of the Old Testament than you or I know, period, hands down. They had it memorized. But they were very religious men. But they're the very ones who led the crowd in shouting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, even though they know, they knew that he was the Messiah. Nicodemus said, he, he ratted him out. He snitched on him and said, we know, right? We've been talking. There's no way you're doing all these miracles unless you've been sent by God. He said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. How can an old man be born again? He asked Jesus. And Jesus said, I'm trying to tell you something that's heavenly. I'm trying to tell you something that's eternal. And you want to play these games. Look what he says. Go back and read John, John chapter 3. Verse 18, he said this. He who believes in him, that's Jesus, is not condemned. But he who does not believe in is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. His name is Jesus. Say his name, church. Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. That's his name. Verse 19, and this is the condemnation that the light that's, has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light but his de that his deeds may be exposed. But he that does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have, uh, that they have been done in God. As a Christian, we let our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and bring glory to our Father who's in heaven. We do those things publicly. Why do Christians, why do we have all the humanitarian things around the world? Most hospitals up until recently were started by Christians. Why? You never hear Satan worshipers starting Christian, uh, hospitals. You don't hear atheists starting hospitals. Why? 
because there is no love and compassion for mankind in their hearts. You say, well, I know atheists is loving. Okay, you get the exception to the rule. I'm talking broadly. Hospitals around the world, mission agencies that started around the world were started by Christians so that we might lead others like this woman did to Christ. We're going to see what she does. Jesus confronted this woman at the very sinful problem. He put his finger on her problem. And guess what he'll do to you and me? He'll take his finger and he'll place it right on the sin problem. And what do we do? Just like she did. We, when we're convicted under preaching or we read the word of God, this woman deflected it. She tried to play defense. She tried to intercept what he said and change it. Watch what she does. She changes it. Verse number six. I mean, number six. The woman recognized Jesus was from God, but she shifted the conversation to the proper place of worship. She went back to race. You Jews say you worship in Jerusalem, but we worship in this mountain, and they're in a valley between two mountains. You Jews. Now, would that have offended you if somebody called you by your race? I, we were not raised, Jews were not a, not a slang word until I got in the military. And when I lived up in Boston for a short time, I learned Jews are not very welcomed in the northern part of our country. You, you ever, anybody recognize that? Raise your hand if, if Jewish, a Jew was a, a bad word when you were growing up. Anybody? Look around, just raise your hand so you, I'm not by myself. I, I heard of Jewish lightning. Y'all know what that is? So when they set their buildings on fire and then file on insurance. I'd never heard of Jewish lightning ever in my life. There was never any negative connotation towards a Jew. But here, this woman's doing the same thing. She said, you Jews. She brought up race again. She's already said, when he asked her for water, you Jews, right? She's calling out race first. She's trying to, he's put his finger on her sin problem. And then she goes, okay, I know that you're a prophet of God. But y'all don't have the right place to worship. She, she deflected. She changed the subject to religion. I think she was very, uh, she was an intellect, I think. But she knew a little bit. She said, you Jews. She recognized that Jesus was from God. And when she shifted that conversation, she's like, we have this place. And Jesus does correct her theology. You know what theology is? Theo is reference to God. Ology, study of. Study, theology is study of God. That's all it means. If someone tries to give you the doctrinal position of their theological studies, all they're saying is the teaching of God. It's a big mouth. A lot of preachers try to give big words so they can actually feel like they're higher than the people they're preaching to. We're all like this woman. We come to Jesus with our sins. We come to our Jesus. We're plain vanilla, if you will. This is peanut butter and jelly right here. We can actually see this where he speaks to the woman's heart and she changes it. He speaks to her heart again. She changes it and he speaks to her heart again and she believes and is saved. And he might be doing the same thing to you and to me today. You might not be a woman. You might be a man here today, boy, girl, young or old. But when he speaks to your heart, when he puts his finger on your sin issue and says, you know what your sin is, you like your alcohol more than you like the Lord Jesus Christ. You like womanizing more than you like with your wife. You like fill in the blank, name the, name the sin. You can go around the church and we can start over here and say, start in the corner, let's name our sins. And we all can name our sins if we were truthful and honest before the Lord Jesus Christ. Who would love to do that? Anybody want to do that today? I'm not a Catholic priest, never will be. We don't confess to me, you confess to the high priest. The Bible says we have direct access to the high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you confess it to him, you should go to your knees confessing that sin. Lord, I have sinned against, fill in the blank, whatever your blank is. And then you go to the person if it affects another person. God forbid that we would not do that and humble ourselves as this woman does. So she switches back. She comes back to the Lord Jesus Christ. Number seven in your notes, 
this woman was not seeking God, but God was seeking her. Isn't that amazing to think about? We go over to Romans 3 because some people, we're starting churches today left and right, and we want to start friendship churches. We just want to be friends with you. Uh, we, don't want to, we don't want anything from you. Uh, we, we just want you to be our friend. We want you to love you to Jesus. God forbid that Town Creek Baptist Church ever becomes a friend church where we just try to love you to Jesus without calling out your sin. Without knowing about your sin, you can't be saved. If we just love you, love you, love you, live your lifestyle how you want to live it, live any immoral lifestyle you want, go do it, and just we just love you. We'd love somebody straight to hell if we do that. Because the Lord is going to, listen, he's going to bring judgment. We have as Christians, we're going to be at a judgment. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. If you're a Christian, you will be there. Give an account for every word and every deed that you did in this life. You won't be judged on your sins because your sins were paid for at the cross. You said, I'll let Jesus take that whipping for me. And he did. He died on the cross for anybody who would believe. But if you're not a Christian today, you're going to face him at the great white throne judgment. God will be your judge. And he's going to cast you whatever excuse you have. He says, I do not know you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. He's going to cast you from the place of torment to the lake of fire. Read for yourself, Matthew 7. It's the most scariest passage of scripture I think I've ever read in the Bible. Very religious people casting out demons in the name of Jesus, healing and helping in the name of Jesus. And he says, depart from me. I do not know you, you workers of sin or iniquity. If you have your favorite sin you like to practice, I'm telling you, you don't belong to the kingdom of God. If it's habitual and you do it over and over and over again and every night, dear God, forgive me. Dear God, forgive me. Dear God, forgive me. You have a religion, but you don't have a relationship with the God of heaven. Church, we got to get to the point that we actually call sin, sin, because no one, the Bible says, look at Romans 3, if you would, Romans 3.10. Just mark this in your Bible. We want to be a friendly church at Town Creek. Yes, we do. Amen? But we'll never be a seeker-sensitive church. I will hurt your feelings from the pulpit. The Word of God will hurt your feelings because we have this call, sin, sin. We can't just tell you about the love of God, even though, listen, can I tell you that the Bible says God is love? He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. I can't tell you enough. But also, he's going to be your judge if you don't turn from your sin and turn to Christ. Romans 3, pick up verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have all together become unprofitable. There is no one who, do, who does good. No, not one. And you can continue to read. How many people, according to the word of God, seek after God that aren't Christians? Well, you say, Pastor, I was looking for God. Then you contra contradict what the word of God says. Well, Pastor, I'm pretty good. I've been at church. We ask questions, new members classes today, by the way, if you, if you haven't attended, if you want to come and see what it's about, ask any questions. It's today at 2.30, right? The first question I'm going to ask you is, tell me your story. When did you become a Christian? Well, I've always been in church as I can remember. So has the devil. Is he saved? Is Satan going to heaven? Is Satan to church today? Now, he can only be at one place at one time. He's not, he's not like God. God's everywhere all the time. God's omnipresent. Satan is a being. He was a created angel. He can only be at one place at one time. He's got demons all around the place, right? And they can only be at one place at one time. So to say, I've been in church my whole life, that's my salvation story, that is not a story of salvation. You must have a place where the Lord Jesus Christ changed your life and you accept him as your Lord and Savior. 
then you know that you know that you know that you're saved and all the stress and anxieties of this world won't come against that because he's your strong tower. In your time of need, he's your power, as the little fellow said this morning. He's your strength. He's the one that sees you through. Will there be days of doubt? Sure. Because even John, when he's thrown in prison, he sent his disciples saying, go ask him, is he really the Christ? I said you were, but I preached it. But are you really? Because he was in prison. He's in a dungeon. He's, he's, he's very much out there preaching out front. Now he's all by himself. Are you really the Christ? And Jesus, what did Jesus say? You tell John, doggone, quit doubting me. No, he said he didn't. He said, you tell John. And I think he said it with a smile because remember, what's his nature? Love. You tell John. The blind see, the deaf can hear, the lame can walk again. Instead of saying, tell John I am the one that he said I was, tell him the miracles I'm doing because he knew that God, because he was God, had told John, hey, this is the thing you'll see from the Messiah, the, the one that's actually coming as the Messiah. Let me, let me keep, go through this. So listen, there will never be a time that we have a seeker service at church. You might be wondering, hey, my life's falling apart. I just come to church because that's the only place I know. Well, you still ain't looking for God. You're looking for somebody else to fix your problem. Everybody wants a patch on Sunday. Just get me through till Friday night comes. Then I can go out and do it all over again. And Saturday I can wake up my head and then do it again Saturday night. and wake up Sunday morning and come to church and go, I just have this guilty feeling. I don't want it fixed. Give me one more patch. And everybody comes to church for just one little patch, one little patch, one little patch. And before you know it, all you got is a patchwork quilt when you get to heaven. Well, if you won't be going to heaven. You're going to be judged by God of heaven. This is very serious stuff. What you'll see with this woman, she's putting herself out there. The Lord Jesus Christ is putting her sin out there. Number eight, Jesus knew her heart. He called out her ignorance about worship. You ever been to somebody who was ignorant with worship? Well, there's a whole mess of it here in America today and around the world, right? How shall we worship the Lord Jesus Christ? And spirit and the truth. We take the word. Is this truth from the word of God? If you're doing something that's outside the boundaries of the word of God and calling it worship, listen, it's man-made. That's what the Pharisees had. They had taken the worship of God and made it man-made. Okay, we have these rules. Now we're going to stick our rules on top of it and then make it a burden to actually follow God. People had to walk like they were slaves to God instead of the servants or the friends of God. God called Abraham his friend. But he corrected her ignorance about worship. Church, listen, you can be in church your whole life. You can truly be a Christian and be ignorant about the worship of God. Ignorance is not stupidity. There's a difference. Stupid is you just can't help yourself. Ignorance is you just don't know. And But you're willing to be, you're willing for somebody to, almost said, what they said, smart, we learn you something, right? Let me learn you something instead of teach you something. You can learn, listen, if you take the word of God and go, Wow, hopefully that's how it happens. There's 66 books there to learn from and go, wow, Lord, I've been doing this wrong forever and a day. And I've told you as a pastor, if I'm doing something wrong, I'm going to do it 100% wrong. 100%, I'll give it all I got to do it wrong until someone shows me that, hey, you're doing it wrong. Then I'm going to turn and go, whoa, I'm going to do it right. Show me the word. Don't tell me what you always did. Don't tell me what your grandpa did. Don't tell me what church down the street did. Tell me what the word of God says, and then I'm going to turn, and I'm going to do it 100% right, the best of my ability with the moving of the Holy Spirit in my life. We call it the unction, the moving of the Holy Spirit. He leads us and guides us in all truth. He leads us and guides us. Do you think the Holy Spirit would ever confuse you in worship? 
Now, the devil's the author of confusion, and if there's anything confused in your life, that's not from God. Boys on other boys today, and girls on other girls today, it's because they're confused. Mainly it's because their mom and daddy's confused, and they won't stand up and be the parent that God's called them to be. We got a jacked up society that everybody's confused. They're talking about what gender are you, or, or, or what, do you, what do you belong to, what group do you belong to? I've told you it blows my mind of this generation. This is the most crazy generation I think I've ever seen or read about. We've had sin since this woman at the well or even before. But we have these big gender reveal parties. People spend a bunch of money to tell you that they're going to have a boy or a girl. Poof, there's a blue one. Poof, there's a pink one. You got a guy down in Arizona setting the whole desert on fire just to show that he's having a son. Now he's going to jail while his son's being born. Have you ever read about that? Because he was stupid, not ignorant. He was stupid. He won't see his son's birth. But then turn back around, the same people say, you can't know your gender. We just spent $400 to, on cake. We just spent all this money on the cookout to tell you that we're having a boy. But you can't know he's a boy. He's got to make his own mind up. I had a parent sit in my office a couple years ago and say, listen, they live nearby, and I hope they're watching. And I said, you didn't put if it's a boy or girl. And they said, well, we want them to decide. I said, you come to the wrong place. You come to a Baptist church, sit with a Baptist preacher, and tell me that you're so jacked up that you actually don't know that your child's a boy or girl? God, you should have never had children. I, I would pray that God would sterilize people like you or change your heart. That offended them. Could you imagine they were offended at me? They offended me. No, let me make it better. They offended God. That poor child is going to grow up trying to figure out if he goes in a male's bathroom or a women's bathroom. God forbid, y'all. We need to call out sin what it is. When these fools are in, and, and, and I say fools because Psalm 14, I was supposed to read this morning. A fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And we have fools in leadership today. And we have wicked, sinful, vile people in leadership today. And it's our fault. We are not praying for them. And we're not running for office ourselves. It's something we're responsible for. And yet we blame everybody. We call it the government. But the government are people. The school board, that's people. Call out whatever entity you want to call out. That's people. Sinful, wicked, vile people. Now, there are some righteous squeaked in there, but they're not being heard much, and we're not supporting them very much. We don't even know who they are. If I said, give me a list of your senators and your representatives, most people go, I don't know who represents me. Shame on you. You're the church of the living God. Stand up, stand out, and speak out for Jesus Christ. You will be shamed. You will suffer persecution. But so be it for the banner of Christ. Amen? Blessed are you when you, people speak all manner of evil against you for my name's sake. If you go out and act a fool, that's on you. That ain't on the Lord. Amen? Don't act a fool. That's on you. Number nine, Jesus said worship will be on God's terms, not on mankind's terms. He instructed her that true worship can happen anywhere as long as it is in spirit and truth. Aren't you glad? You ever been on the side of the road, broke down, Lord? <laughs> Not again, right? Are you been in that troubled situation, kids? Get in trouble. Oh, dear God, please help mom and daddy. Help me later. Don't let them see this till we get it cleaned up, right? You ever been there? Does the Lord hear those little children's prayers when they, if they're truly a Christian? Does he hear the prayers? Yeah, you might be on the side of the road because your kid's prayed at home trying to clean the mess up, right? Who knows? The Lord hears. The Lord hears. He does hear. That's a wonderful thing to know about our God. Number 10, the woman finally said the Messiah, the Christ, is coming, and he will settle the issue of worship and all things related to God. She's like, okay, you said we're wrong. You say you Jews are right. You just wait and see. When the Messiah comes, he'll settle it. 
He knows all things. You think she had one of those duh moments whenever he says this next? Looking for yourself. She said the Messiah is going to, he's going to square everything up. Verse 25, the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. She's like, he's going to tell us who's right and who's wrong. Because Jesus already told her she was wrong and she didn't believe it. She changed the subject again. Jesus said, verse 26, I who speak to you am he, or I am. Whew. Can you imagine standing in the presence of God and he revealing himself to you like that? He's already touched all your sin points. You've argued with God about where, how, to, how, how to have religious life. You've argued with him about the deep water that he created, by the way, right? Back in the beginning, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If you got that wrong, you got John 3.16 wrong. Pastor, I just have a hard time believing that, that the Lord created everything. That ain't my problem. You got issues. And I don't believe you can believe Jesus is the Savior without believing God created the heavens and the earth. Well, Pastor, are you a young earth or an old earth creationist? Don't ask me that dumb question ever again, any of you that come and argue me with creation. That's the dumbest thing you can ask me. Dumb question. Many people are like, well, Pastor, I'm going to do an apologetics tour, and I'm going to actually go be talking about old earth or flat earth. you got to have a biscuit for brains if you're going to sit and talk about flat earth. There's a professor at University of South Carolina teaching flat earth. Did y'all know that? They're teaching our students that the earth is flat. My Lord is correct, brother. Listen, how foolish can you be? Some of you are like, well, I am a flat earther. Buy yourself a globe is all I can tell you. Y'all, listen, the, the, our young people are being told all kind of crazy things. And we old people don't read the Bible, so we can't tell them the right things. You say, well, how do you know the earth is round? Isaiah said the earth was founded on a sphere. Go look at it for yourself. Who told Isaiah to write that? God did. He was inspired by the Holy Spirit. He said, well, sphere is not round. Get a grip is all I can tell you. He didn't say it was put on a cooking sheet. The earth is round. It is a sphere. God found it upon the waters. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he created the heavens and the earth in six literal 24 hours a day. He began in the evening all the way to the next day, and he says, and it is good. Day two, it is good. Day three, it is good. Day four, it is good. Day five, it is good. Day six, when he made us, listen, he said, it is very good. And then he rested on the seventh day, not because he was tired, because he's holy God. He modeled for you and me how to slow down and rest. And most of us keep running right through that seventh day. We don't rest, we don't rest, we don't rest. I couldn't get out of bed just I kept sleeping. Kept sleeping. Get up, I get, I'm going to do this. Go back to bed and sleep, rest. It's because I've been blowing through the seventh day. Let's finish this sermon for another day. Number 12, the woman's left Jacob's well without her empty water pot, but with a full, I should have put a full heart, heart full of living water. She, she just dropped her pot and was gone. She came there thirsty, but the Lord gave her something else that filled her, it quenched her thirst, not only the thirst of her throat, and he does supernaturally do that. Y'all know that, right? When you've got something to do for him, he will supernaturally set in where you're not hungry anymore, where you're not thirsty anymore, and you can do stuff you can't even explain. How did I work through that day? I'm exhausted. Now, he'll give you rest on the backside, but he'll see you through for the time that you've got to go and do. 
And he, listen, he's ordained it for you to do. So if he's ordained it, he's going to give you the strength. Go back and look throughout scripture how he gave people supernatural strength. Everybody talks about, listen, how big was Samson? All the, all the new Bibles got Samson, this six foot five monster like this, walking around like this. His muscles so big, he can't, he's worked out in the gym. By the way, they didn't have the gym. They just worked out push-ups and things. Samson was probably about a five foot eight, skinny little nothing. That's why they couldn't figure out where his strength came from. He had long hair, of course. He was an average man that they said, where does his strength come from? They couldn't figure it out. He's whipping everybody's behind that comes up on it, right? He's breaking everything that's against God through his strength. And it wasn't his hair either, just for the record. Even though that's when he cut his hair, he told us the sword where God had worked on it. But it was actually the Holy Spirit seeing him through all those battles, all that wisdom, and even his foolishness, the Holy Spirit was with him, trying to get him on straight street. Back in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would visit with you and leave you, visit with you and leave you for the task. Today, the Bible says he never leaves me nor forsakes me. He's with me 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We live in the best time ever in the history of mankind. It's evil, it's wicked, it's vile, but the Holy Spirit sees us through. And listen, when we let our light shine in the dark room, well, guess what happens? Man, turn that off, right? Tone down that Jesus talk, Bo. This is work. We don't talk about Jesus at work or at school. No, but you talk about every other sinful thing there, don't you? Why not let your light so shine before men? Shine that high beam LED light, right? Light for Jesus there at work. Let your light so shine before men they may see your good works and bring glory to your Father which is in heaven. Blind somebody that's in the darkness. And when they come out, go, listen, can you show me the way out? Like this woman, watch what she did. She left her water pot there, and she took off. Her heart was filled. And I, one rabbi is teaching that there's not a question mark in the original. She didn't say, she didn't say that, that he, he argues that she didn't say, come and see a man, verse 29, who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? He implies that it's emphatic. This is the Christ. This is the Messiah. Watch what the people do. She returned to her city to tell all about what Jesus had done for her. Did they know that she had had five husbands and was living with a dude that wasn't her husband? Yeah, she's probably talking to him too. He's in the crowd. She's like, and he's like, that means I got to get married or we're going to break up, right? That's what people normally think when they think about something's got to change for me. She's changed on the inside. She's a new creation and she can't help but see. She wants you to come meet who? Come and see. Jesus, that's the title of this series, Meet Jesus. John's introduced us to Jesus. Hey, but I put on your notes, and I'm sorry I put this in here. She invited the whole town to come see Jesus. Come and meet Jesus. Ironically, the disciples that just got through buying biscuits didn't invite anybody to come meet Jesus. I hate that I had to put that in your notes, but that's you and me. There's people that are saved today. They can't wait to go tell somebody about Jesus, and you've been sitting around all these years knowing Jesus hadn't told them one time. Isn't that something to ask you if your family or friend gets saved by somebody else leading them to Christ and saying, listen, aren't you a Christian too? How come you never told me about this salvation only through Christ? The disciples passed this woman. She's going out to get water in need. They're full of the Holy Spirit. They know what's right. They're going in to get bread, but they're mad because they got to buy it from Samaritans. they got to buy it. they got race issues in their heart. Even though they're Christians, they are very much stuck here on earth. Their, their mind's here, temporal things. And then they're on their way back, and they pass her again. When they passed her the first time, she was empty with no water and nothing in her heart. Could the disciples have led her to Christ? 
Lady, what are, you, what, are you, what are you doing getting water at 12? Well, I won't talk about it. Well, are you going to get water at Jacob's well? Yeah. Well, you're in for a big surprise because Jesus is sitting there waiting on you. Don't you wish the Bible told us that? But they pastor, the, all the pastors, is a pastor's conference. We ain't got time to tell anybody about Jesus. We got to go to the restaurant and eat and complain about the food being cold or too hot, too warm, whatever it might be, and then leave a lousy tip and walk out and say, God bless you. Come see me next Sunday, and I'm going to tell you about the love of Jesus. Pastors are the worst people on the planet when it comes to tipping. Every Southern Baptist convention we go, they have to tell the pastors, make sure that you leave an adequate tip. It insults me. It insults me that you don't tell a man of God, a Christian first, but a man of God. If you're a Christian, don't go out and eat if you don't tip appropriately. Go home and eat. Eat loaf bread, biscuits, whatever at home. Biscuits are the theme of the day. I guess I'm going to Cracker Barrel. I don't know. <laughs> Y'all, here's what I want you to see. The disciples, and I saw this, and I was like, Lord, God, how many times is that me? How many times is that Town Creek Baptist Church members? They walked into town to buy bread to meet their physical need. They passed the woman. When they're coming back, listen, the woman was there. They didn't pass her. She takes off because they saw that he's talking to a woman going, what is Jesus doing? He broke all the rules. He's talking to a woman and a Samaritan woman at that in the middle of the day. What would they think if they were, Jesus wasn't there, if it was just one of their friends? Dude, what are you doing, man? You know our people don't talk to their people. We don't jive like that. And, and especially a woman. You, it's worse. It's a woman Samaritan, a Samaritan woman. you got to double down on that. She runs back into the town the disciples just came from. Did they have kind words? Who knows? Remember James and John wanted to call down thunder, uh, lightning from heaven and kill all the Samaritans that actually opposed Jesus. So they could have treated the vendors a little rough back in town. But she runs back to town and says, come, meet the Messiah. He told me everything. He, he put his fingers all over my sinful situations. And I'm telling you, he changed my life. And I can imagine how the, <laughs> the, the disciples felt when all the townspeople came out and going, oh, mm, oh you with him? The, how you were talking to me back, back when you were buying that, you you're saying that, that my bread was burnt, it wasn't worth that extra money? I can't help but think these boys talk trash to the Samaritan women because that's where they had to buy their stuff from. And they didn't like anybody in that town. They would have walked around that town had they had their choice. But Jesus made them confront it. So this story is more than just a woman at the well. It's about the disciples and about you and about me. Do we put our preferences before the Prince of Peace? Do we choose our stuff more than Jesus? Would it be that any of our family or friends, if somebody walked up to their door and said, listen, I just want to tell you about the love of Jesus Christ. And they're like, well, yeah, I know, because my sister, my brother's a preacher, my sister's, uh, she's a Christian, and I've heard about it before. But do you know Jesus? And they pray and receive Christ. I don't want to shame you today, but how much heavy guilt and shame would come on our hearts to know that somebody else led my, my family to Christ, my friends to Christ, my coworkers to Christ. God forbid, I, that's what I pray. Lord, let me lead all my kids to Christ. I want to lead everybody around me to Christ that I know personally and more. I'll tell you a quick story. We were at the Bible, the Bible Man concert, and, and the guy said, hey, you want to pray to receive Christ today? And Mackenzie goes, Daddy, can I? I'm like, I'm going to beat Bible Man up after this. I'm going to go bust Bible Man in the head because I prayed that Lord let me lead her to Christ. And she went and said some words, and, and when she was 12 years old later, she said, Dad, I know I said some words when I was young, but I started thinking about when Jesus comes back that I don't want to be left behind. I want to know that I know that I'm saved. Would you 
lead me in prayer. And we in her room, bowed at her bed, and I was able to lead her to, and to, to Christ. And she's never been the same since. Can I tell you today, when you give your life to Christ, you'll never be the same ever again. Finally, listen, don't be like the disciples. Don't pass by your opportunity because they were hungry. Who gave you some food, Jesus? And he said, I have food that you know nothing about. Where did it come from? Father above. People who heard the words of God, they did what? They believed. Simply believed. Your friends, your families, your coworkers, your teachers, your professors might not know today because they haven't heard the truth clearly. You have to speak the truth with clarity, saying that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. As a matter of fact, just quote Jesus. John 14, 6, if you take your notes. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And they said, well, I don't agree with that. Not my problem, right? Who said that? God said that. God makes the standards. God makes the way, and we respond, yes, God, or no, God. To respond, righteously or unrighteously, that's our only choice. We will say yes to the things of God, or we'll say no to the things of God. Well, let me ask you today, like the woman at the well, and I wish I could speak as excited as she was, because, hey, Jesus told me everything I'd ever done wrong, and he told me he was the way and the truth and life, that he was the Messiah, the Savior of the world, because they come back, and that's what they proclaim. Now we believe that you're the Savior of the world, this Jewish man in a Samaritan city. Hey, would you stay with us two days? And Jesus did, and he spoke to them, and they believed. And then the Great Commission, which is ironic, when the disciples finally come around after Jesus has died on the cross, he's been buried, he rose again the third day according to the scripture. Just before he ascends to heaven in Acts 1-8, he says, listen, now fellas, we ain't got everything right. You know the truth, right? I'm paraphrasing here. Go to all the world. Where are you going to start? Begin in Jerusalem. That's where we're from. That's our people. And then go to, come on, y'all know it. Going to all the world, right? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, Samaria, and to the ends of the world. That means you got to mix it up with everybody and tell everybody about the gospel. No matter what their skin color is, no matter what their culture is, no matter what clan they belong to, around the world you got to go tell the good news of Jesus Christ. Not because you have to, it's because you're doing it out of compulsion of love. I loved you first, now go love somebody else. And that's what our job is today, church. We've met Jesus, now go love somebody else and tell them the truth. Let me pray for us. Father God, as we look at the word and see this woman, thank you, Lord, that she was saved. And Lord, I'm not happy about her past life. Lord, we are thankful that her story is in the Bible. Because we can look in the mirror and see our hearts. We know where we are with you. We know that we're in sin or not. We can celebrate that you saved us or not. Lord, that's not a celebration if we're not saved, but it's a recognition that we're not saved. And then, Father, you give us opportunity, not just to know you as a Savior, but, Lord, as our Lord, we continue to learn about you and grow. The Great Commission is the same that was for her as for us. Go and tell the people. People that love you and accept you and people that reject you and don't love you. Help us be bold in our witness, I pray. I pray these things in Jesus' name for us.